I'm not totally sure I'm ready to come back to Bible study yet, though, So, but I will be as we get into this. Um, everybody else ready? Yeah. Ready for this? Okay, so a couple of um, reminders, um, just kind of setting ground rules here. Um, one, we do not charge for Bible study, okay? Um, because we made this decision a long time ago that we're a church, and that's probably what we're supposed to do. But having said that, Bible study does cost money. You got a book today. You'll get a book in the winter time. Um, we have folks who need child care, okay? And child care costs money. The problem is, is at the time when you need child care the most, is that very time when you have the least amount of money to pay for it. So what we basically, and we'll have some guest musicians up here, there are different things that cost money. Um, so what we basically do is we say, you know what, if you could help us as you are able by putting some money in an envelope that gets passed in your small groups each week, um, that would help offset the costs. Here goes. We do not keep track over who puts money in, okay? In fact, a little bit later on, we're gonna get to a point um, where we're gonna actually do some luncheons and things like that. We don't even keep track of who pays for the luncheon, okay? Because we want everybody to feel like they can participate. But again, here's the deal. If you're past that childbearing age, if things are going well and you won the lottery last week, it would be really cool if you could put in a little bit more for those people who can't help at all. We pass the envelope every week rather than just one time because we know that sometimes it's really easy just to take a dollar out of your wallet and put it into, or $5 and put it into an envelope. That's easier than writing, you know, a check at one time. I think I used my last 20 yesterday, so I don't even have $20. We're suggesting $20 per person for right now. Okay, um, if you can do that, great. If you can do more, that's great. If you're writing a check, make it out to Glenn Kirk. I mean, it'll go into one of his Bible study. But again, nobody keeps track. You can do it today, you can do it next week, you can do it every week, just putting it out there. Okay, so that's the, that's the number one sales pitch. Number two, I was reminded in leaders group today of something that I said a long time ago. I do not believe that growing into Jesus and into what he has for us is kind of this linear thing where you do A and then you do B and then you do C and then you do D. Okay, I don't think God grows us up that way. Um, I actually have a tendency to kind of take um, the analogy of a bingo card. Some of you have heard me say this before, that what God is wanting to do is play blackout bingo with us. Okay, he gives us his bingo card and he wants every spot on that card to be filled. Okay, I've been a Christian for a number of years, so he's put in a decent number of those boxes are filled. In fact, for me, you know, all of the B's and all of the N and half the G, it's filled. Okay, God's dealt with me in ways that I've learned those lessons in those squares. But then I meet Jen Bowler. And Jen's a relatively new Christian, not really, but we'll just use it for the analogy. And God is working on the O boxes in Jen's life. And we get together and we talk. And she looks at me and she realizes that God has not even started touching the O boxes. 
And her response to me is, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you were a mature Christian. I go, well, yeah, kind of. And you haven't learned this lesson yet? And it's like, no. Because God hasn't gotten around to teaching me about that lesson yet, because he's been working on other areas of my life. But here's what that means. It means that I have something to learn from Jen. And she has something to learn from me. In your groups, you're going to have people who are going to come in and they're going to quote Bible verses from memory. And you're going to go, Exodus? What's Exodus? Who's Moses? What are you talking about? And you're going to have people who can't help but spend 20 hours studying James. And you're going to go, I barely got the lesson done. That's okay. We have something to teach each other. Okay? So wherever you're at, know that. Okay? Um, and feel free to speak up and feel free to say, I didn't get it that way and I didn't see it and that's not what God said to me. Okay? Our whole point here this year is not to learn more about God. Okay? Our point is to get to know God. Okay? Our point here is to allow God to take a more of a foothold in each one of our lives, so that each one of us, and, and Kathy said it, so that each one of us is growing in our dependence upon God and our love for God and our obedience to God, okay? Um, it's all about meeting and responding to God, okay? And that's what we're about. So that's gonna look different for all of us. We learn from each other. Having said that, there is one other thing that I will tell you that if um, you at all have any interest in learning how to run a computer so that you can help with slides, or if you have any interest in learning how to do a sound system, Nathan doesn't like us. <laughs> Not really, he really likes us, okay? But this is an incredibly long day for him and he has to be here until 10 o'clock tonight or nine o'clock tonight. And so what we're trying to do is free him up so he doesn't have to be here in the morning. So if you would like to learn how to use the um, sound um, booth back there or help with the slides, please um, come see me or Patty. Raise your hand. There's Patty. Okay, Molly, you can talk to Patty or the person with the camera over here who is always kind of has this camera in her face. That's Kinsey. You can talk to Patty or Kinsey about anything, anytime, and they will take care of things. Don't talk to me. I will forget. Okay? They won't. Um, one other need that I will tell you, just kind of starting off, I had an email yesterday. Um, one of our desires this year is to spend more time getting off campus and reaching out to the local community and loving on the local community. And so last night I got an email from Shepherd's Pantry, and they have this program. Shepherd's Pantry is um, a place where people who don't have food or who have needs can, can come and get food and can get help. Okay. Um, they also have started reaching out to the children of the clients who are struggling to, to get by. Okay. And those parents often don't have a lot of time to also help their kids. And so they have a, a, an after-school tutoring program on Monday afternoons, kind of starting at 3.30 and running to about 5.30, 5.45. And they need tutors. Okay, um, the first hour, 3.30 to about 4.30, that's math tutors, okay? 
4.45 to 5.45, that's reading tutors. You don't have to know anything, okay? They have the curriculum all set out. All you have to do is come and encourage and love on and care for a kid, okay? If you at all can maybe be available on Monday afternoons. Now, that doesn't mean you can't go traveling sometime. You know, you can leave every now and then. But if you can help out on, you know, three out of five Monday afternoons, they could really use your help starting this Monday. Okay? So, um, do pray about that. And Jenny, would you stand up? And Luann, this is, okay. These two folks um, are involved in that program. You can ask them more questions about it. They can tell you everything you need to know or you can get some more information or give your name to them and they will pass it on and tell you what to do, okay? So see those folks afterwards, okay? Um, I told you one of the things I want to do this year um, is not learn about God, but to really deepen our relationship with God. One of the invitations that God gives us is to quit being God ourself. Okay, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but most of us feel like that if things are gonna happen today, they're only gonna happen if we make them happen. Anybody believe that? The problem gets to be is no matter how hard I try, I can't make anything happen. Okay, and God gives us an invitation to just give everything over to him. Right. Now, we, in one sense, kind of call that prayer. But here's the problem with prayer. I don't know about you, but when I pray, I go to God and I tell him how to do everything. Okay. I tell him what the problems are, as if he didn't know already. Okay. And I tell him what to do about those problems. And God eventually gets my attention and says, don't worry, I got your back here, but you gotta let me do what I'm doing my way. And so more than anything, what I'm trying to do when I go to prayer anymore is to quit talking and to just open myself up to God and to what he's doing. And so I'm going to ask that we do that right now. We're going to take about two minutes, two and a half minutes. And I want you just to be quiet before God. And I want you to say, God, here I am. And if the grocery list comes into your mind, just say, God, forget it. Here I am. Lord, I'm listening. And let's just sit with God as we prepare to go into this year. Let's do that.
Lord, we don't want to know more about you this year. We want to know you. And we want to walk with you. And we want our lives to be about you. So come, Lord Jesus. We give you our agendas. May we take on your agenda. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In Jesus' name, amen. I read a book this summer called Silence and Solitude. You can get it on Amazon. It's not too bad. What I did is I found myself reading kind of one chart chapter and then just taking time to just sit with God. I have a little bit of ADD, so I set a timer. And I just set it for 10 minutes. I would encourage you. A couple times this week, a couple times every week this year, you know, just go in the bathroom, close the door. Okay. And set a timer. Or go someplace where you can, I like outside, but some of you have kids. Set a, set a timer, 10 minutes. And just sit with God and say, Lord, come and let him speak, okay? And let's see whether or not he doesn't show up in some ways that we don't expect. Do me a favor, turn to the person next to you and answer this question, what is the gospel? If somebody were to ask you what is the gospel, what would you say to them? Okay, so you're not, you're not talking to anybody. Talk to Debbie, see? There's Debbie. Here, here goes. I interrupt this conversation now like I started. My guess is that for most of you, it has something to do with the fact that Jesus died for my sins so I could go to heaven someday. And that's part of it. But the gospel is a lot bigger than that. Mark 1 says this. After John, meaning John the Baptist, was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news. The good news is gospel. Proclaiming the gospel of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent basically just means change directions, okay? And believe the good news. The good news that God's kingdom, God's rule, God's authority is now present. 
This summer, um, there are four words that kind of stuck out at, at one point halfway through the summer. Actually, there's seven words. You've heard three of them. Okay, seven words you're going to hear over and over and over again. Three of them you've heard: dependence, love, and obedience. But there are another four. The other four are grace, freedom, law, and faith. And if you were in the summer book study, you know we talked about those four words. And the first word is really important. The first word is grace. You see, in the Old Testament, we had this picture of kind of who we are today, okay? But you have the Israelite slaves in Egypt, or the Israelites, uh, they're slaves in Egypt, okay? Um, They have no control over their life. They can only react to what other people and what the circumstances around them are telling them to do. And life is hard. And they cry out to God. And God sends Moses. And he does a bunch of miracles through Moses. And eventually, Pharaoh literally kicks, the king of Egypt kicks the Israelite slaves out of Egypt and says, just get out of here. You're free. And they leave Egypt. They didn't do anything. God did it all. Okay. God was the one who changed Pharaoh's heart because of all the power and the displays and things that God was doing in Pharaoh, such to the point that Pharaoh said, just get out of here. And they left town. They were free. And they leave Egypt and they get to the mountain of God. And Moses goes up in the mountain of God and God gives Moses what are called the Ten Commandments. And this is what he says. I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of slavery. And I'm taking you to this promised land I'm showing you. Now let me show you how to live so you continue to live in freedom. The Ten Commandments were not given in order to get God to do something in the slaves' lives. It was after God had acted in the slaves' lives. After they were free, God said, now I'm going to tell you how to live so you don't become in bondage again. Um, How many of you who have... So, I'm going to tell you, my, my mother moved this year. And in the process of moving, they broke her TV set. Long story short, I gave her one of my TV sets, so I'm out looking for a new TV. I've found the TV I want. Oh, man. I'll probably get it in about three years. Okay. I keep going and looking at that TV set. It's beautiful. I mean, the screen talks to you. It's really cool. When we want something too badly, it oftentimes takes over our life. We call that coveting. God says, do not covet. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Why don't we covet? Because when we covet something, it begins to get control over us. And what happens? We lose freedom. See? The Ten Commandments, God says, don't lie. Have you ever lied? Have you ever gotten caught in your lies? Okay? Lying actually puts us back into bondage. 
God is trying to teach us how not to live in bondage, but how to live in freedom. The Ten Commandments aren't there to please God. It's in order to help us not again end up in bondage. Okay. Grace. God acts first. He acts to give us freedom. He gives us the law so that we don't enter back into bondage again. The fourth word is faith. Believe. Repent and believe. Turn around and believe. Believing is taking God at his word. It's believing God is who he says he is and we are who he says we are. See, God says the kingdom's at hand. I am now in complete control. Okay. I am in complete, absolute, 110% control. I have all the power and I want to use that power so that you can live in freedom, so that you can live in my kingdom. You are my beloved child. And I want to bestow upon you grace upon grace. And the question is, will we live in that freedom that God gives us? Or are we going to go back to bondage? Bondage of doing it ourselves. Bondage of trying to be in control ourselves. You see, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were free. And Satan comes to them and says, hey, I tell you what, rather than living with God and being obedient to him, why don't you try and make decisions for yourself? And Adam and Eve go, oh, huh, that fruit looks kind of good. Sure, we'll make decisions for ourselves. And as soon as they did that, they ended up in bondage. And life began to spiral down. And Jesus comes and says, you know what? You no longer have to live in the way of the world. Instead, I'm giving you the privilege to live in the freedom that is mine, the freedom of the kingdom of God. But you have to make the decision about which you're going to live in, the world's kingdom or my kingdom. It's a decision. Turn from the world's kingdom, live in my kingdom. I keep thinking, of, I've been trying to think of an analogy for that. Um, how many of you are married? Okay, do you remember what it was like two days before you got married? I mean, you were in control, right? What happens when you got married? Now all of a sudden you had to talk to each other. Now all of a sudden you had to think, well, what's the other person gonna think about this? You can't just go out and buy the TV set, you have to talk about it, right? I don't have to talk to anybody, it's so nice. <laughs> Having kids, what's it like before you have kids? Oh, I gotta stay up late. <laughs> have kids and stay up late? You're dead the next day, right? See. Once you get married, you're all of a sudden living in a different world. You think differently. Once you have kids, you're living in a different world. You think differently. And when you basically make the decision for God to live in his world, you think differently. That world is a world that's filled with joy. Because now it doesn't depend upon me, it's all about God, and God wins. See. 
um, in, in Bible study the last couple of years, um, one of the privileges of the leader is to choose what book we get to study. About two years ago, Lynn came up with this great idea of studying Revelation. <clears throat> Yuck. Here's what I learned about Revelation that I'm still taking with me and is still informing everything for me. Revelation is this book that talks about how bad the world's gonna get before Jesus comes back. Every time you turn around, there's another disaster in Revelation. But one of the things we learned is that all those disasters in Revelation had one purpose, to get people to turn back to God. Okay? I turn on the news and I hear about another disaster. It can be global warming, it can be a war someplace, okay? it can be a mass shooting. And because we study Revelation, what goes through my head is this is a signpost for people to turn back to God and to cry out to God, to realize that they're not in control, that they can't be in control, and to cry out and, and just trust God. Last year, we studied John. John Jesus comes saying, I'm the light. I want to show you what the world is really like. And he says, you know, you have two options. You can either live in a dark world or I can show you the light of how to live in God's kingdom. See, I want to give you the truth. The truth that what this world tells you is really a bunch of lies and I want to tell you what's really true about life. I want to tell you about love and what love is all about and how much God loves you, in fact, to the extent that I'm going to die for you in order to give you the opportunity to live, not any longer in the world's kingdom, but in my kingdom. It's a decision. Every morning, you get to make a decision Am I living in the world's kingdom or am I going to live in God's kingdom? Right. But God's kingdom is a whole new reorientation to life. The book of James is probably one of the oldest books of the New Testament. Okay. Now, I can give you all the theories about when it was written and how it was written. Um, and theologians love to argue about things they don't really know anything about. And we really don't know who wrote James. Okay? Um, tradition has it that the person who wrote James is the brother of Jesus. Okay? There are three James that are listed in the New Testament. One we know nothing about. One is James, the brother of John, who died really early. And the other is James, the brother of Jesus. Most people think, traditionally, that James the brother of Jesus wrote the book of James. Right. The problem with it is, is that the Greek in the book of James is way too good. Okay? That's one of the problems. All right. And James was probably, remember Jesus is this guy who grow, grows up in Galilee. His father's a carpenter. Okay? If James is his brother, he probably grew up in Galilee. His father was a carpenter. He probably wasn't well-educated. He shouldn't have known that greater Greek. And so people kind of go, oh, I don't know about this. Maybe James didn't do it. And then people also argue about the fact, well, doesn't J don't James and Paul contradict each other? 
How could James be contradicting Paul? Maybe, you know, and we have these arguments back and forth. I will tell you that after doing a bunch of reading, this is, I kind of believe this traditional idea of James being written by James, the brother of Jesus. And this is how I think it happened. One, I think what you have in James isn't so much a letter that he sat down and wrote in one sitting. I think you have a bunch of sayings by James. Okay? In fact, James is awesome. Um, one of the arguments for James is it really reads like what we call Old Testament wisdom literature. There are 54 imperatives in James. Thou shalt do this. Okay, you need to do this. We're gonna be studying all the things that we need to do. Okay, great, that sounds like fun, doesn't it? Aren't you glad about coming back tomorrow? I'm gonna tell you how to live life. Here goes. Um, 54 imperatives in James. I think what happened is James, it, in, in, it was probably initially composed probably about, about 42 AD, 45 AD, okay? Jesus died in about 30 to 33 AD, okay? The Council of Jerusalem, when Paul comes back and says, what do we need to do with this, you know, what do we do with the Jewish law? That is in 48, 49 AD, okay? People get mad about, people say James and Paul don't, get along, that they contradict each other. And one of the arguments for James not writing it is because of the Council of Jerusalem where James basically, and everybody agrees, not to put the law on people. And so people kind of go, well, how could James be writing the same thing? Don't these contradict? Is this supposed to be in the Bible or not? Here goes. They really don't contradict each other. Okay? What James does is he subjectively tells us how to live out being a kingdom person. Paul, objectively, tells us what it means to live, and what, how we earn or how we receive salvation, how we receive God's kingdom. One says, this is how you receive God's kingdom. The other says, this is how you live in God's kingdom. Okay, you understand the difference? No. I just went like this. Everybody's kind of glazing over. I glaze over at this too, okay? Paul says, if you want to live in God's kingdom, the only way to do that is by faith. By no longer living the way the world tells you to live, but trusting in what Jesus, that Jesus' kingdom has come and allowing Jesus to take control of your life. It is receiving Jesus in your life, living for him. James says, now if you've done that, then let me tell you what it looks like. See, if you've been released from slavery, let me tell you how to live so you don't get enslaved again. Not so that you get released, but now that you are released, this is how you live to continue to live free. What we're gonna learn in James is what it means to live in God's kingdom that is ours to live in. Not to earn salvation, but to live now in God's power and in God's presence. Okay? 
James was probably written before the Council of Jerusalem, or the language probably would have been a little bit different, probably about 45 AD. James himself is killed in 62 AD. Okay. In, at that point, um, the Roman governors died, and there's kind of this little power void, and the religious leaders in Jerusalem find a reason to stone James to death, and James dies by stoning in 62 AD. In 66 AD, the church leaves Jerusalem. The head of the church leaves Jerusalem because the Romans are beginning to march on Jerusalem. In 70 AD, the temple and Jerusalem fall again to the Romans. And in 130 AD, all of the Jews are kicked out of Jerusalem until 1948, okay? And when they come back, just some message, some things. The feeling is that probably sometime after 66 AD, that all of these sayings that James has written down are probably now um, edited and put into the form that we have today, which is why the Greek is so good in there. Okay? James, the brother of Jesus, is what James 1, 1, I'm sorry, James, is the brother of Jesus. He's called James the just because he's known for his piety. He's known for being a man of prayer. Okay? He's known for the way that he lives out his faith. All right? um, being a man of prayer um, doesn't really surprise me. Being a man who's very religious doesn't surprise me. I mean, after all, his parents are who? Mary and Joseph, right? I mean, you'd expect him to be brought up in a religious house. But James is brought up, and he doesn't believe that Jesus is God. In fact, we have in a time in the Gospels where James takes Mary and some of his other brothers, and they go to Jesus, and they say, you know, come on home. You're acting like a madman. Let's come home. Okay. During Jesus' life, James does everything he can to get Jesus to stop preaching. But after Jesus is resurrected, Jesus makes a personal resurrected appearance to James. And says, James, will you believe now? And James becomes one of the four pillars of the church in Jerusalem. You have Paul, Peter, John, and James. He becomes head of the church. And so he writes, James, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, a slave. Okay. Now, I, have a, I don't have an older brother, but I don't think I would ever call, be, want to be an older, a slave to my older brother, unless I've come to understand that my older brother really is who he says he is. James 1.1 1, 1 says, James, a slave, a bondservant. He basically is saying, I now belong to God. I am no longer my own. I live for him. I live for his agenda. Okay. Now, when we think of slavery, we think of you know, the old American 
south. Okay, um, but really, probably a better way of looking at slavery is Downton Abbey. Anybody read Downton? Everybody see Downton Abbey? I mean, what happens in Downton Abbey? I mean, you, the family wants the family to look good, right? Isn't that the whole the whole point? I mean, they do everything they can in order to make. I mean, the servants do everything they can to make the family shine. Okay? They're, they're there. They get their identity in serving the family. And when the family wins, they win. And in a sense, that's what James is saying. I am now a bondservant of Jesus. I live no longer for myself, but for his kingdom. And he says, James, of God and of Jesus Christ, and it's kind of this formula, a very early formula in, um, in Christian writing for trying to figure out how you put God and Jesus together so, God, so Jesus is really Lord. Um, it's before the Trinity is really formulated. Okay, but he's basically saying Jesus and God are both, they're, they're Lord, they're in control. They're the ones I serve. James, a bondservant to all of the 12 tribes of Israel who are dispersed throughout the nations. It's kind of um, lingo for now the new kingdom has come and I'm writing to all those people of God who are spread throughout the world who are the new people of God, the messianic kingdom of God that is now present, that has now come. To all of you who are living in this new age of God's kingdom, let me tell you how to live. And that's what we're gonna learn. We're gonna learn how to live as people who no longer live in the world's ways, but who live in the kingdom of God. We're gonna learn not how to live in order that God does what we want him to do, but we're gonna learn how to live as people who live now in a new kingdom. Okay. And people who can have joy because God rules in that new kingdom. And God has called us his children and dearly loves us and has called us and has freed us to live as we were created to be lived in the first place but it's gonna cause a whole new reorientation of thinking. My question as we start is which kingdom are you living in? Which kingdom do you want to live in? And are you willing to let God show you how to live a whole new way of life? A life that because there's still a battle between Kingdoms is not always easy, but it's one that is filled with power and love and joy and not futility, 
but hope and freedom. Let's pray. Lord, as we start this time together, as we read how to live, will you show us again with your light and your truth the lies that we've been living so that we can live the truth. Empower us to live out a relationship with you. Not to receive because we do, but to receive because you have given. Thank you. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, what we do is, um, after we kind of spend some time kind of taking apart the scriptures, is we go and have some food, because by this time I'm always hungry, and we give you a chance to kind of talk to each other for about 10 minutes, and then we go off to um, small groups. And so, um, Kathy, I'm just gonna go ahead and do this real fast, right? So, um, I'm gonna ask all the leaders to come up real fast, um, if they would, leaders. Okay, um, these are the people who are um, leading our small groups in various places around the facility. Um, I'm gonna have them um, basically tell you their name and their room number, okay, um, to where their group is. If you will take a look on your name badge, there is a number on the back of your name badge. It might say 15, it might say 503, it might say 21, okay? Um, that's the room number where you go to meet one of these leaders. So, um, Ann, do you have a mic? I do. <clears throat> I'm Ann Dorn, and my room is number 12. I'm Cheryl Patton, and we're in 14. Lenny Idris, and we're in 21. Debbie Alley, we're in room 15. Carmen Husted, we're ho over here in the corner in the event center. Catherine Battaglia, we're in room 8. I'm Caitlin Shan. We're in room 505 in the new gathering place. I'm Leanne Seal, and we're in, in room 9. Hi, I'm Tanya Sims. We're in room 508, which is the new gathering place, or the old offices out front. Hi, I'm Sandy Pettit, and we're in room 22. Luann Jamie, and we're in room 511 in the new gathering place. Christine Cravens, and I'm, I'm co-hosting with Luann. Susan Harvey, we're in room 10. So this is the deal. Um, you need to get some coffee or whatever and go to your room wherever it is. Um, here's the deal. If you don't particularly like the people in your group or whatever, we don't want you to not come to Bible study. Um, just see me and we'll um, do the needed changes because there's lots of reasons. I mean, some of you are counselors out there and sometimes, you know, you know things that I don't know and, you know, you really don't want to be with somebody because you know too much about them or you shouldn't be with them or something. So, you know, if there's a reason, I don't care what it is, nobody cares, would rather change groups than you have you not come. So if there's a problem with your group, see me, see you next week. <laughs>